0: Got caught in the rush hour The fella started to shower You with love and affection Now you won't look in my direction On oh, the expressway To your heart That way, Not the best way At five o'clock It's much too crowded No, it's much too crowded Bella started to shower, you with love and affection. Won't oh, you look in my direction? I'm expressing to your heart. That express way not the best way. I'm following my As much too crowded. too crowded, you know, it's much too crowded, too crowded. so hope oh, Way too crowded. Way too crowded. to love, I got caught in the rush hour, Those fellas started to shower, you with love and affection, come on look in my direction, oh, express way to your heart, that express ways, not the best way, I might apply, it's much too crowded, too crowded. much too crowded,
1: This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series, and what a way to start this show, The Soul Survivors Expressway to Your Heart. That was a top five smash, and the introduction of this great hit by The Soul Survivors, which consists of Charlie and Richie Ingley, and Kitty Jeremiah, their friend. They're all from New York City, love R&B, but they took... This Gamble and Huff written smash to the top five, and it introduced us to what we know today as the sounds of Philadelphia. We get to talk to a founding member, Charlie Angui, who's singing and going strong today. You can reach more information about his dates. of Play at thesoulsurvivors.com and on Facebook. But this awesome interview with Charlie and I comes
2: at you right now.
1: Hey Charlie, this is Sabrina Marie. How you doing this evening? Sabrina,
2: how you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing, doing great. great.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. Great to have you. Great to be able to talk about the Soul Survivors and, um, your brother. I know you, your brother, and Kenny Jeremiah were the Soul Survivors, but before we get into that, tell the audience a little bit about you, your background, where you're from, and all.
2: Well, uh, Richie and I are from, uh, Lower East Side, New York, and, um, grew up there, and, uh, that's where we each separately began singing um singing initially with uh you know vocal group harmony groups uh what they call duo today i guess and uh and that's that's how we that's how we started well
1: wow. now you say separately Wh- which one's the oldest how many well,
2: I'm the oldest I'm wow. the oldest so i had i had my groups and uh Richie had his groups and you know eventually we uh, we uh, had the opportunity to work together. What
1: were your earlier influences? And between those two groups, were the musical uh, styles different of, the, of you know of your interest?
2: Now, basically, uh, you know, basically our our biggest influence was were the, were the vocal groups of the fifties. You know, you know, the Heartbeats, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, and uh, the Moon Glows, the Flamingos, all all those. Groups that we went to see at the Alan Freed shows at the Brooklyn Fox and the Brooklyn Paramount, and uh, you know, we just—I uh, mean, those shows were great. You just went went there at ten o'clock in the morning, and you got out at ten o'clock at night. It was a stage show, movie, stage show, movie. That's how it worked.
1: That's beautiful. Well before my time, what were the differences in the music from the fifties? That were your influences. And then going into the year nineteen sixty sixty one, 61, what was going on in your lives and the styles and the, the groups and everything, just the whole ambiance of the, the era?
2: Well, we kind of, we kind of evolved from, you know, from the 50s, uh, style music and started hearing and listening to, to, you know, more deeper R&Bs, you know, coming out of, uh, coming out of, uh, um, Stax Records and, you know, the South. That, uh, the Southern R&B, Southern Soul, was really, really caught our, our ear, caught our attention. You know, Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, Johnny Teller, you know, Etta James, um, you know, those, that's what we started listening to, and that was, that just naturally evolved, uh, you know, took us from, from the, the, the doo up into, you know, more, more serious R&B or soul.
1: More deep soul. Now yeah. the '60s in general, a uh, totally different era. When you're talking about early '60s music, you've got a little bit of that doo-wop influence and whatnot. What are you and your brother doing? Where are you going? Where are you traveling?
2: Where were we traveling in the yeah. '60s? Oh, early all, '60s. All, yeah, all, all over the, all over the country really. Uh, well, no you know in the early '60s, mostly we mostly worked the uh, uh, New York area, New Jersey, New York. You know, pretty pretty regional, regional.
1: And who are you running into at that time? Who's not quite a star yet? And, and no, it you was, well, you know, author? we were just yeah,
2: we were just we were playing different clubs in New York and uh, and uh, and then Atlantic City before the casinos got there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, most mostly bars. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the people that we the people that we started um, kind of our contemporaries at the time before they really. Ever made it big? Were you know were people like the at the time they would call themselves the young rascals was the rascals and the vanilla fudge and and groups you know pretty pretty much New York groups. Mm-hmm. That's who we you know mostly uh, were on the circuit with.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're playing and you're you're considering a professional career in the record industry. Um, I, I know you can speak. What was the record industry like? Once you know it really at the beginnings of the times you decided to to go professional with this
2: well you know prior to uh, i'd say I'd say the early sixties you know sixty one sixty two um, my whole i mean basically uh, growing up and being in New york all uh, the center of of that of the record business was was New York and the brill building and all you know and all the people that, that, uh, were writing, you know, big hits and, and, uh, I mean, that's, we made records back then, um, you know, with, with different, different backing groups. We, we had a group, uh, called the Dedications, which, which was a vocal group and we did some background work. Um, but, uh, you, you, it wasn't, it was, it was not uncommon to to go into the studio and record three or four songs with, you know, full orchestras, big, you know, big sounds. They didn't, in those days, they didn't spare any expense of making records. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I mean, you just have to, all you have to do is listen to any of the uh, the drifter stuff and, you know, and, you know, stuff that was coming out of the bill building in those days. It was all orchestrated and, and, uh, and I heard your, I heard your, uh, one of your interviews with um uh, what was his name? Leon from the coasters. Leon. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, he described it he described it uh that that time and um and uh that that's that whole New York sound was was really popular and was very very orchestrated.
1: Now know, the behind, New York the, sound. Behind,
2: behind the behind mm-hmm. behind the the behind the groups. The
1: New York sound. Explain a little bit to our audience, because we have millennials here, all the way up through, you know, a little bit past baby boomers. But for millennials, they're going to be be tweeting. In fact, somebody's tweeted here. What's the New York sound?
2: Well, you know, it's hard to define. It's what you know. It's what I call the New York sound. I've never, I never really. I, I, you know, come to think of it, I never really heard it described as such, but having been there and experienced it, that's the only way I can describe it. And who's writing?
1: Who's writing for the Brill Building? What is, oh, okay, oh, another one. What is the Brill Building?
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, well, the Brill Building is, um, is a building on, uh, on Broadway in New York where, where it really was the center of the, of the, of, uh, of the record business and of songwriters. Songwriters, you know, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller were there. Jeff Barry was there. Carol King was there. Um I mean, so, so many of the, uh, so many of the people who were making, you know, you know, recording stuff like, you know, Stand By Me and, you know, Under the Boardwalk and, you know, I mean, all, all these songs that you hear every day on all these stations, that's, that's where they were being written and, and produced. Um, and uh, you know that, that's what I refer to as as New York sound. Now a lot of that has, a lot of that particular music has you know spilled over into what they call beach music as well down in the Carolinas. You know mm-hmm. they've they've ad- adopted a lot of that music and and you know they call it beach music. I call it whatever <laughs> I call it, but it's basically it was basically '60s rock and roll, really. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. It was just a little more sophisticated than, you know, than uh, uh a trio or a rhythm section. You know, it was it was orchestrated? It was it was danceable? But mostly, mostly it was li- very listenable.
1: Now, your early recordings. Who were you recording for? Before your success, you know, this is very early on because most people have an early on story before their, their success. So we want to, you know, just go into this slowly. Yeah. What are
2: you doing? Yeah, we were doing, uh, well, we were signed with, the, you know, some small labels, you know, usually consisting of like, you know, one owner and one assistant uh, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, uh, but using you know, using all the, the studios uh that were available in New York, like Bell Sound and A and Arnolds, just where everybody else recorded, you know, I mean studio time wasn't real expensive, so I mean you could get you know, you could get uh, uh a small operator to you know, get some get get some money together, get a group and go into the studio and come out with possibly something good that he could start take the elevator to the top of the build, build building and start knocking on doors. You know, and that's, that's exactly what we did. Every, you know, every Saturday morning we'd, uh, we, you know, we'd get together and we'd, uh, I mean, we're only, we're only, you know, five or six subway stops away from, from Broadway, so we'd get on a, get on a subway, go up to the Bill building, or not only the Bill building, but that whole, that whole, uh, Times Square area had, you know, three or four, uh, uh, buildings where all the record companies were. So all you had to do was get on the elevator, and then just start knocking on doors and ask, you know, can we, can we audition for you? Can we audition for you? I mean, everybody, everybody was there. And that's what we did. You know, you walked in, you sang a song or two, and the guy said, you know, get the hell out of here, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or he liked it, you know.
1: Now, how stiff was competition? Because
2: people are going to ask you oh, that. Oh, how oh, stiff was the competition? There's oh, competition, there's a group on every corner, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's plenty of competition, but, uh, you know that was part of the fun, too. I mean, we used to have battles of the groups in the subways you know we'd we would oh absolutely, you know we'd have different groups coming from different boroughs and we'd meet on some neutral neutral station and uh and we'd go back and forth with the uh, you know songs singing and singing, and you know everybody knew who was the better group at the end of the night, so uh, that was part of the fun, you know um I mean just the vehicle just just having the opportunity to to be um in a group that would that would uh you know go here and there. I mean, that was a free pass to to go to places that uh ordinarily you wouldn't even step foot in. You know, wow. different neighborhoods, you 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 were admitted because uh you you know you're you say, oh he sings. Let him, you know, let's let's hear it. let's hear it. Beautiful. Yeah. Now the sixties mid sixties
1: you are getting some attention, and Another. who really founded the Soul Survivors? And were you called that at that time, when you started getting the attention from record labels?
2: Well, we we had become the Soul Survivors um, uh, out of <clears throat> out of uh, different different vocal group names. We had we became the Soul Survivors when we finally realized that. Uh, you know we'd be playing these clubs as a vocal group and usually have to use a house band and it never really was comfortable never really worked out we decided to to uh become become self-contained so we we merged with uh a rhythm section with three guys uh, a drummer uh, a keyboard player and a guitar player and that's when we became Soul Survivors and that's when we now Who
1: are those who who are those players in this lineup
2: uh, players in that, in that particular lineup were, the drummer was, uh, Joey Forgione, the, uh, the, uh, keyboardist was, uh, Paul Mentorini, both, who have unfortunately passed, um, mm-hmm. and guitar player, um, at the time, at the time, um, was, uh, Chuck Troyce. Okay. Um, but but yeah. what happened was, what, what, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What, what happened was, we, you know, we started playing, um, clubs, clubs around New York, and, but one, uh, one job, one booking that we got was in, in Atlantic City on Memorial Day weekend of, uh, I believe it was 65. I think it was 65. Or 64. Maybe 64. And we went down there and, uh, it was just a bar, really. But, but, um, I mean, we played a lot of clubs, you know, with, uh, I mean, you had a comedian, a stripper, and us, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's the way it was back then. These, these places, they really were all like that, they were all bustling. <laughs> so, uh, so, we went we went down and we played, uh, you know, we did seven sets at night, you know, came out when the sun was up. And we were, you know, that's that's what it was back in those days. You just worked all night and um so the first couple of nights we played there it was you know you know it was not real crowded, you know went over okay it was it was we were having fun but then a couple a couple of nights a couple of nights went by, and one one night uh some kids from Philly came in to uh to listen and um They, uh, (laughs) I guess they liked what they, what they heard because the the next night they came back with an army of people. And, uh, that's where it all started. Right down Atlantic Mm -hmm. City because that's where we, where we met all these kids from Philadelphia. And they asked us to come up to Philly to play at a club that they hung out at. And, uh, and so we did. We, we, we went and uh, met with the owner of, of this club up in Philadelphia and, that was the beginning of. That was really the beginning of our popularity, as far as you know, really, uh really drawing crowds and making some noise. And that. And you're talking about what
1: year? What year was that?
2: I was, um, I was sixty. I guess that was sixty-six. I think it was sixty-six. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could have been probably sixty-six.
1: What was blue eyed yeah. soul like in sixty really? six uh that's what they were terming it what was blue eyed what they termed blue eyed Soul? Yeah. what was that all about and you know i we're, I'm from a different you know generation so yeah. I don't understand the terminology but what was it like being a soul act that would be
2: well at, I, get, I well that became complicated later on um that really became complicated later on. We, we Well,
1: we'll say that. But yeah. who is actually looking to do anything with you at that time now that you're in Philly?
2: Well, we're in Philly and um and one 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 afternoon when we were doing a doing a rehearsal at the club, we got a call from uh from a guy who was uh well he was actually managing us at the time. But he got he got a call from Jerry Blavitt. DJ in Philadelphia, who I'm, I'm sure you, you know about, Derry Blavitt. He's he's uh, he's been he's he's been uh, sort of a legend in Philadelphia for many many years. But anyway, he uh, he the one of the groups that was uh, he had a TV show. He had a TV show which was on uh, I think it was a daily show. I'm not sure whether it was daily or, or once a week. I think it was on Saturday. But anyway, he uh, one of the groups couldn't make the show. He needed somebody to come in and uh, and and fill in, and so we got a call and said, well, you know, would you like to uh, to do the uh, the, the Blavat show? I said, well, of course we want to do the Blavat show. We knocked everything down, went over and played live, which is what we did back then. Um, we set, you know, we did his show, we did it live. This is this is you know before we had any records and uh, expressway and all of that. So we played live, and the kids loved it, and he loved it, and. uh and, uh, that really helped even mm-hmm. getting us, uh, even more popular because we got, mm-hmm. we had now the TV audience. He had us back week after week. Beautiful. Um, quite a while. And that, uh, of course got the attention of, uh, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Well, wow. actually Kenny Gamble first. Um, he had, you know, Jerry told him about us and, uh, he came, he came through one of the clubs to see us and, was convinced that uh, he could do something, and hmm. you know, and that's when that's when he they wrote the expressway for us.
1: Now, what was that recording session like? You've finally been discovered by two up-and-coming producers. That's what they were at that. Oh, time. Oh, that's what they right? were
2: then. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. They had had they had had just a few little minor hits with the intruders on 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 their own label, but they were uh-huh. they were local local. Uh, um local hits mm-hmm. and um and this was this was kind of this was kind of experimental really because you know uh they all their experience had been in, on the r and b charts and on you know in the r and b market and so um having basically at at the time we were you know i guess we were kind of a rock and soul act and uh and so this was their first experience and and ours as well and um so the recording session session itself was was a lot of fun anytime so we th- the thing is that we immediately hit it off with Kenny and and, uh, and Huff we we just got along it was you know it was just one of those things where we just got along and uh, we we always had fun working together and that session was was no exception um we uh we had a you know we did we did use our own band, you know, we, and, uh, and, uh, and, Ken, and Kenny produced, and, and Huff did, Huff actually played uh, on the session, uh, played mm-hmm. piano on a session. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was great. I mean, I can tell you that we, we did, uh, I certainly didn't walk out of the studio and say, hey, we got a hit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if it, anybody did, but, um months later, we, we we had a hit on our hands.
1: You know, I love the song, but I recently got acquainted with a four-minute version of that song. I'm
2: still ah. trying
1: to find. I was able to hear it on the radio once and tried okay. to call, them I'm like, where did you get that? I want the copy of that four-minute version. That's that excellent. Right? <laughs> yeah. Hmm, really? There's a four-minute version of it, and some of it is um, just the instrumental, and then your voices come in, um, of course, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a little instrumental, and then um your voices come on in the end. It's just really cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've never been able to find that. So I'm like, Why well, well, haven't either. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to find it now. I found something a bit like it on YouTube, and oh. it said Rotation B. It wasn't the exact one I liked. the The one I like is like uh, four minutes and twenty seconds. Oh wow! And this one was maybe four minutes and twelve. You know, mm-hmm. so I said, Well, I got to get the other one. So I don't know what rotation, but uh, they said it was on a compilation album that printed in the 90s. So I'm like, yeah. uh, wish I wish I knew where that was, you
2: know. And, yeah, it's been on so many compilation albums with. Uh, beautiful. Uh, I don't know how many versions. I, I you know. What is your success
1: like? What is your success like um, and now that you've got this monster hit and yeah. it's climbing the charts? What's going through your mind at the time and having this fame well, you all know, of a sudden?
2: yeah yeah it was pretty scary actually um uh you know it's it's of course what we always wanted and what what we were hoping for um but I'll tell you it it was a, you know it was a little intimidating at times to be out on the road with you know some pretty established acts who uh you know we we had we basically had you know came out of the came out of the bar scene you know. Uh, we were just like blue collar guys working, you know, working, were working for a living and, uh, uh, here we were with, uh, you know, with people like, like the beach boys on the road and, and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, all these, all these pretty, pretty established acts. Um, so while it was a whole lot of fun, it, it, it was, it was hard work and, uh, and uh, and you know it it uh, it was scary to begin with, but it it, it we kind of grew into it.
1: Now, what did you know about the music industry? Did you know about the politics? Did you know about the big players? Did you know anything going into the music business? And what is it you knew?
2: Well, I I I didn't know how to get paid. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, that and that's that's the one. That's one thing most of us didn't know about back then. Um, mm. You know, we knew that uh, that we we wanted to make a record, and we knew that eventually we'd have to pay for it. <laughs> if not at first, we'd have to mm. pay for it. That that was the reality that we you know we knew that. And to be honest with you, we you know we never were looking for. You know, we were never really looking for fortunes. We were looking for the opportunity to make some music and to be, to be involved in music. And, uh, and, and that's the way it's been for, for, you know, for all these years, really. <clears throat> um, success that we've had has been, it's been real personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. you know, and, and we've gotten, we've gotten to, you know, be around and, and affect people's lives, and to be around some great people. And uh, you know, I well, mean, you
1: had very, a monster really, hit. I mean, that was yeah. the number one. It's considered still the number one uh, hit coming out of Philadelphia. Yeah. It yeah. did 18 weeks in 1967 yeah. on the Billboard charts. Went to number three R&B, number four pop. But wh- you, men- I mentioned this question earlier, and you said, well, it got a little tricky a little later. Now you're blue-eyed soul. You're yeah. in that that niche, and it's nothing. I'm sure you wanted to be in. What was it like for a blue-eyed soul act in the
2: '60s? It was difficult then because, first of all, uh, you know there was no there was no MTV and no internet, and, and uh, you know mo- we we got booked we got booked into venues that you know. Didn't know that they were booking a white act. Wow! Um, And that happened many times. And uh, um, you know, sometimes it was sometimes it was a great thing, you know, and other times it was uncomfortable. But um, what
1: would they do? What in the uncomfortable areas? Because many of us weren't weren't around then to even know. Let me give you. Let me give you one.
2: uh, I'll give you one example. It was 1967. At the Newark Pound Mountain, New Jersey. Newark Pound Mountain in Newark, New Jersey. And there were riots going on, <laughs> out on the street. And we were on a show with Jackie Wilson, the Mad Lads, um, I forget who else. But we were the only, we were the only white act on the show. And, and the only reason that we were there is because, <laughs> because the agent didn't know that we were white. Okay. But so, and so at the time, but I guess this was in October of sixty seven when when Expressway was really at the top of the charts. And so, um, we go out on the stage. Well usually we would close with Expressway. We'd go out on the stage and you know, I mean, everybody everybody in the building knew it was gonna be rough. So one of the one of the guys from uh, from one of the guys from the Mad Lads volunteered to go out and introduce us and you know, give us this whole blue eyed soul introduction and all. And we walked down on stage and like I said, we usually used to close with Expressway. Well that night we opened with it. Just to let everybody know, just who we were. And I'll tell you, as soon as we did that the place just relaxed, got got applause and everybody's you know, it was it was great after that. So we did our show and and that was that was one of the good times. But you see how how I mean. But you experienced that kind of you know anything can happen here, and you know and that that happened a lot of times. I mean, I mean I can remember. I mean I can remember nights that uh, one New Year's Eve. We were, this was 1969. We were, we were out in in uh, Los Angeles. We did. I think we did. Uh, we did two two shows. Two different gigs that one night. Um, we did a high school in LA with Eddie James, and which was great. And then a, a little plane picked us up and flew us. Uh, that was in Bakersfield. Then a little plane picked us up and took us to to Watts, where we did a National Guard a, um, Armory with Wolfman Jack. And uh, luckily. Like I say, I mean luckily we had to as soon as we did expressway people knew who we were and that that really that made all the difference in the world mm-hmm. but you know to be I mean to be it's really it's really been with the people that we've personally worked with, the acts that we've personally worked with especially, it's always been great who did been, you
1: get a chance to work with
2: who who did we? yeah uh, well i can tell you i can give you a list of of uh everyone from sam and dave to jackie wilson to uh to you know all all of the uh all of the philly international groups who who i remain you know we remain friends today we still work together with the blue notes and uh Dolphonics and you know all the stylistics and all all the people out of philly international but um you know, Sabrina, those days were different uh, as far as mm-hmm. you know. As far as uh, a show that you could go and see. I mean, we 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 worked on, we worked on the same bill with with <laughs> Sly and Family Stone, Frank Zappa, um, The Vanilla Fudge, Richie Havens. You know, all these people. The shows were they, they weren't categorized like they are today. You now they weren't. Mm-hmm. You know, you either go see this group act, or you go, see, this genre. they were all mixed up back then, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, and it was just a lot of fun, a lot of, people were just more open about music back then, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's got their own ideas today as far as, like, uh, well, this is better than that, this is, you know what, it's all good.
1: Amen, I'm glad you feel that way, there are many people in your generation that think everything great was back well before...
2: No I, no, I don't the, believe that at all. It's medieval you know? age. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of good music today. You just got to look for it, you know. Beautiful. And somehow the good stuff gets to you. It'll find you. And if you don't find it, it'll find you, you know.
1: And your success with Express uh, Expressway to Your Heart Follow up and afterward. What did you learn about the music business? You said that you didn't know enough about the music business, but you're right at the cusp of an end of a decade in the yeah. 60s, and music is changing. What's going on between 68 and 74?
2: Um, well, uh, musically or business-wise? Both. Both. Well, I think that... Uh, uh, I, I think that the artists were. I, I, I think record companies were were throwing out out a lot of money to to uh, a lot of people um, who who really couldn't uh, couldn't really deliver uh, the product that they were paying for. I, I think I think what happened was basically that the record business started to choke itself.
1: Really? Um, okay.
2: Um. You know, uh, the, the, some, uh, some of the, you know, some of the companies, they, 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 they did thrive, like, like Atlantic Records. I mean, so you have to understand one thing, like, I, my, my taste in, my taste in music and what I listened to, especially all through those, for those years, was, you know, basically, it was salt. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it was Motown, of course, Motown, but, but, but I, I preferred I preferred the stuff that was coming out of uh, out of Muscle Shoals. Now, mm-hmm. uh, uh Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Now we had the opportunity, the, the good fortune to have um, made uh, went down there and we did it. We did a, a record down at uh, Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals with um, with that that rhythm section that was so great that backed up. All of, uh, Wilson Pickett stuff and Aretha Franklin wow. stuff and, and all those, I mean, all those great Atlantic acts. Um and we got to, we got to play with them. We got to make a record with them. At the time, uh, actually Dwayne Allman was the, uh, was the lead guitarist down there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, and that was a great experience. And that's the, you know, the music that was coming out of there. Uh, and that's what I was listening to. Um mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, as far as as far as the business of music, I, I think I think people started to get a little. Well, it didn't happen yet. You know, you know, what really changed it was the internet. And I mean, that's that's what really changed the business, the music business, because, I mean, people people realized that uh, their records were selling. You know, they could they could check it out. Like that's what we're doing now. I mean, we. You know we we getting we getting paid for stuff that that we haven't gotten paid for in years, but now you really? can track it down, mm-hmm. and that's that's really the big change. Now, now, now the biggest you know, change
1: between the early seventies and now is the internet. You, and, but one question before you talk about the internet was uh, the music did change between the sixties where you you know you were you know talking about vanilla fudge and and a lot of the. Uh, uh woodstock stuff yeah and then you had you know canned am radio stuff that was pop like the carpenters and whatnot Uh but where do you fit in now between (laughs) that (laughs) what is going on
2: that's been the problem it's that's been a problem for us where do we fit in you know Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Uh, What
1: are you doing? What's Gamble and Huff doing? I know they would later on do the Philly International stuff, but what is going on for a Blue-Eyed Soul Act between 68 and 74? And that seems to be a void right there when I look at the music charts. I'm like, hmm, what happened?
2: Yeah. um, Well, that's that's a great question because those are very difficult years for us. Those were very difficult years for us because music did... You know, did change and, and, you know, that's when it started, I think, to splinter off. You know, you had, you know, that's when rock and roll became rock, you know, and, um, and, uh, to me, you know, uh, it, it just became all all pop music to me. I don't I don't know, you know. That, now you did the
1: city of Brotherly Love in seventy yeah. four. What was it like coming back into the studio doing that? And you know, in the music business, what was going on there?
2: Well that was uh well we got you know, we got a call from uh, Kenny Gamble. Um he, he had he had this one song that he, he, he wanted us to do called Soul to Soul. And uh and uh at the time we had been working with uh, a rhythm section from from Woodstock. A really really good rhythm section and uh, and so we said yeah we'd like to do we'd like to do this, the uh, song but we'd like to do a whole album, you know, and we got we got the guys to do it. And so Kenny Kenny said yeah, okay. Let's let's do it. So, you know, we we worked it out and know you know, wrote a bunch of songs for for the album and uh, had everybody come because they were we had everybody come to Philly and just, uh, basically move in, and we did, we did the album there, and one of the songs was City of Brotherly Love, which we wrote for the album. Um, as far as what was going on, we, we ran into the same problem, you know, it was like, where do these guys fit, fit in? Because now you had all, at that point, you had all the disco, uh, disco was real popular, and we, we weren't that, and then, you know, we then you had to rock and pop, and we weren't that. And so, you know, here we here we go again, just trying to do what we do. Um, so, uh, you know, the I mean, we got some we got some good action, but we, we're getting more action on that now than we did back then.
1: I was going to ask about that. What's going on for you guys?
2: Well, I mean, we're getting you know, as far as the internet, we're getting hits all over the place. All over the world really with a couple of things, one of the things that we did down in Muscle shells in in nineteen sixty nine called mama soul it's all it's all over the internet It's it, it gets played all over the place and um and also city of brotherly love and uh and so and and we we've got a uh you know the, the last the uh, latest c d that we did heart full of soul that's uh that's doing pretty well uh and uh we're involved with um we're involved with a few different projects. Uh, one one project that we we do um, is called In the Pocket, and it is uh, it's kind of a Philly All Star band um, with with uh, guys from a group called the Hooters out of Philly.
1: I remember the name, the Hooters. Yeah. where did the children go? Um,
2: that was one of their one, hits. I believe I believe so. Um, I love that song. <laughs> they they did uh, well, you know the guys of uh, Rob Hyman and uh, Eric Brazilian, in in uh, who are uh, in that group they they wrote um, time after time for Cindy Lauper, and uh, and they've had some big some really big hits as, as writers as well mm-hmm. but anyway it's uh it's kind of an all-star band with a bunch of different uh guys from philly and we do uh you know we do maybe once a month we'll do it we'll do a a, a concert, and as a matter of fact, coming up, coming up, um, this week, Friday, we'll be doing a live, uh, radio concert on WXPN mm-hmm. in Philly. Wow. And, uh, Good and then we'll be up. Man. What's that? Yeah, it's 88.5 on, uh, you know, in, in Philadelphia. It's, it's the University of Pennsylvania radio station. Mm-hmm. And they do a, uh, free at noon concert from World Cafe Live, um, in Philly. And um and then a week after that we're up with the same with the same uh, project we're doing um Club Havana up in New Hope. That's mm-hmm. You know, and we do we, you know, we do our uh, our Soul Survivors gigs. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly mostly regional, you know, uh, mostly in Philly and Jersey and, and occasionally. Where do you up.
1: see yourself going? Where do you want to go? Because Euro Sound fits in with what We want to go to, to Europe, <laughs> I want, yeah.
2: to, I want to go to the UK. I want to go to Europe and and uh,
1: What if oh. you could produce with Today's producers, because I don't know if you've noticed this trend. It seems like the people who make it really big are with big-time producers. In the last 25 years, it's been you know year of the producer on these yeah. songs. So, what if you got with a Pharrell Williams or what if you got with uh, you know whoever is out there now and they've produced? What, what do you want to do? What do you Where do you see well, yourself?
2: Well, that you know, I mean, of course, if you know, of course, if if, if a, a really hot producer would become interested and want want to do something, that'd be great. Um, you know, on the other hand, um to be honest, I mean, I, I love I love working. I love doing the live shows and um mm-hmm. and uh if if we could get a record out there that uh, I say record, if we could get a <laughs> if we get a record out there that would uh, uh, you know get us get us to a point where there's a, a whole lot more work, that'd be great. Um, but that's where I, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy the live shows because that's for real for me.
1: It's got to be demanding physically to do a live show. Um, I was once reading Tom Jones saying he works out, does what he needs to do to keep himself up. It takes a, you know, if you get out there one time and sing, but if you're doing consecutively, you've got to be in great physical shape.
2: You have to, yes, you do. You have to have a regimen. And, Mm -hmm. um... You know, it's. Uh, I mean, it encompasses everything, all your habits. You know, eating, sleeping, uh, exercise, and uh, and your your inner peace, basically. You know, you've got to be strong inside in order to uh, in order to to uh, get it on out.
1: You know. Now, how about your voices? Your voices—I've—I've I've, uh, seen things on the internet and heard you all, and your voice vocals sound just as good as they—they they did on your early recordings. What do you guys do? Um, uh-huh. And don't don't say don't say alcohol and drugs.
2: No, no, no. I have to say this, and I, I say this every day. It's, it, it's a gift. It is absolutely uh-huh. a gift. Uh huh. Um, and and I'm thankful for it and. Both my brother and myself, we just, you know, constantly, you know, look at each other and say, wow, this is such a gift. You know, to be able to do this all this time and to be able to enjoy it and today more than we ever did. And uh, it's just a gift. I mean, we're trying to – you, all, you, all you can do is hold up your end, and that's what we're trying to do.
1: You've been listening to Building Abundant Success with Sabrina Marie, Copyright. March 29th, 2023.